0: If you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, Colossians chapter 4. Um, but before we get into our passage today, I, there's a couple of things from two weeks ago that, that I want to uh, clean up. Uh, our... Uh, I wanna go back to, um, we had a guest speaker, and I lo- love Ron. There are two things he said that I wish he would have said them differently, and I've talked to some of you about it. Uh, maybe others of you, you heard it and didn't didn't even uh, bat an eye at it, but um, but I, I just felt like I should probably come back around to these things, and uh, just as your pastor, uh, speak on them. So uh, the first was uh, Colossians 3. He talked about several relationships, one of which was uh, slaves and, and masters, and Ron said, um, he said, I know what it's like to be a slave, and uh, the, the problem with that is our historical context. Now, Ron did an amazing job of, of explaining the context to the Colossians there, and if he, I think if he just would have said, I, I know what it's like, what it would have been like to be a slave, a, a, as one of the Colossians were. Um, but but we don't hear it that way as Americans. we think of of the history of slavery in, in our country, uh, so I, it just it rubbed us the wrong way because he, he didn't know what it was like to be uh, an african American uh, an, an African in slavery um, he He related, if you weren't here, he related to being in the military and and basically not getting to have any freedom, and not getting to make your own decisions, and, and someone telling you how to make your bed, and, and, and everything, so I know what he was saying, but, but I, I wanted to, I wanted to uh, just acknowledge there, I think if, I, if you don't know Ron, he's so sweet, so kind, if I told him, and actually, I, I am going to get together with him, and just uh, about other things, but I'll let him know about this too, but, but if I said that to him, I guarantee he would say something like, oh, shoot. He's such a great guy. Um, so I- anyway, um, I wanted to clear it up. The other one uh, it talked about wives and husbands, um, and, and it says, wives, uh, submit to your husbands. And he said, he said, women don't be feisty. And, and in my chair, I just like, ah, I tensed up. Um, I, one of the things I love about my wife is she's feisty. <laughs> Right, uh, she is a feisty, feisty woman, and and now someone could be feisty certainly in an ungodly way, but I also think that, that you could be feisty in, in a very godly way. And, and I think if if I told Ron how that came across, I think what he'd do is take us back to Genesis one, and, and he would he he would I think this is what he was getting at um, Genesis one. Adam and Eve, they're their husband and wife. God's created everything, and, and God tells them, you're to have dominion over every living creature. You're going you're gonna to rule together over all these amazing things I've made. And then we fast forward to Genesis 3, sin enters, and every relationship is now damaged, right? And, and God tells them, this is how it's going to be now right it, he says to, to the wife that you can have the desire for your husband and, and there's a couple ways that there's arguments about what what does that mean right there's is it sexual or, or is this like having uh, dominion over him dominating over him I think because of something in Genesis 4 I think that the dominating makes more sense that I think the, the picture here is that that you were to have dominion together and now you want to dominate each other this is just how it is now that sin has entered the world. So um, again I, I really think that's where he was going. Um, uh, let me let me give you a couple thoughts about um, about what this means for wives to submit to their husbands. Um, one pastor um, said that that submitting, the wife submitting to her husband in a godly way, it, it's like a vacuum that serves as an invitation for the husband to lead in the ways that, that God has intended him to in the family, in the household. Um, Kathy Keller, I don't know if you know her, Tim Keller's wife, who's a, a preacher in New York, author of so many books. Um, She said it this way, she said submission means uh, that in matters of disagreement I yield to Tim, the deciding vote. I get a vote, he gets a vote, he gets the deciding vote. And then she shares a story about um, how that's played out in their lives. So they were deciding whether they were, they were going to plant the church that they've been at for decades now in New York. W- were they going to move there? And, and Tim really thought they should. Kathy really didn't think they should. Um, but they had to make a decision. And, and well, not making a decision would be essentially deciding not to. Um, so one day Tim conceded. He said, okay, if you don't want to go, we won't go. And, and Kathy said, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> you are not putting this on me. You have to make the decision and bear the responsibility. And, and there is a reality that husbands, we do bear responsibility before the Lord, how we lead. Now, I'm, I'm not laying out ways for you to lead right now because I don't think it's as cookie cutters. Maybe we want it to be sometimes. Um, but but we are called to lead. Now, Ron was brilliant that he took us to Ephesians 5, because not only does it talk about wives submitting to husbands, but um, it, it also says what the husbands do, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, laying down his life for the church. So, husbands, we are to lead and serve, and we we do that by dying to ourselves right dying to our wants our desires our our agendas and what we're trying to do is lead our family to God right trying trying to help them to know Jesus himself so there's a ton more that can be said at some point we'll say more. I don't know when, but, um, but I want to jump into Colossians 4 now. If you want to talk about any of those things, I'd love to talk with you after the service as well. But Colossians 4, um, we're going to jump in with our uh, truth statement right here. Uh, be devoted to prayer and ready to take opportunities for the gospel. Paul tells us that we're to be devoted in prayer. He says we're to be watchful with thanksgiving. He tells us to pray for three different things, to to pray for the, the gospel workers, the people that are making disciples, to pray for open doors, and to pray for gospel clarity, right? In verses two through four, that's what he talks about. And then five and six... He says, you're not the hook, right? You, you, you need to be ready to make the best use of the time to, to take opportunities for the gospel. So that's, that's where we're, we're going today. Verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So before we can get to Paul's command uh, about prayer, what is prayer? Uh, and I'm sure there are some long technical definitions, but I'm just going to give you this prayer is is talking to God making our requests known to him right it's it's an offering up of our desires of our requests and and, and giving it to the Lord God wants us to pray and it's um, in some senses it's a very shocking thing that God Almighty wants you and me and all of his followers to come to him and pray and yet in another sense it's not shocking at all because God loves us Right? God loves his children. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to talk with him about anything and everything. He wants us to make our requests known. He wants to bless us. He wants to bless you. Uh, Isaiah, or, sorry, Proverbs 15, 8 uh, it says, But the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. Now, who's upright? Well, only those who are in Jesus, and it's not because of what we have done, but it's because of Jesus giving us his righteousness. That's why we're upright, and he says that prayers of those people that are acceptable to him. So, every, every adopted child of the Heavenly Father, our prayers are acceptable to him. Isaiah 65, 24. I love this. God says, Before they call, I will answer. While they're yet speaking, I will hear. God is just ready. He's ready to hear us. He's ready to respond. He loves it when we come to him, when we talk to him. Um, I don't know if you have a teenager in your house. I have one. He's not here today, so I can talk about him a little more in front of everybody. It's all right. If you bring it up to him, I'll deny it. Um, (laughs) But uh, if you have a teenager, preteen, maybe they get home from school, and you're like, hey, how was school today? No, it was good. Okay. Um, What did you like about school? Uh, Lunch. Um, Like, I get nothing out of my kids after school, but I love driving them to school. It it doesn't always work this way, but so often it's like this magical time where they want to talk. And and I get to hear all kinds of things that I just don't hear if I just wait till after school or or even as they're waking up in the morning. But when we're driving to school, we have fun together. I just want to hear anything and everything that's on their hearts. Man, God wants to hear from you, right? Paul, Paul says that, that we get to know God. We're, we're trying to grow in our knowledge of God, and we call this knowing God. We call it a relationship. Well, if it's a relationship, of course, it, there's got to be communication. I think God is, is glorified in at least two ways when we pray. One is when we come to Him, we're acknowledging to Him that we need Him Right, that we can't, we can't fix things in our lives. There, there's, there's circumstances that we just can't really do anything about, or at least not the things we want to do, and that God has the power to do that. That he has the power to do that, that he has the compassion, the love, the wisdom to do that. So he's glorified just by us coming to him, but then he's also glorified by his action when he responds. He he shows us who he is. That he is a God of compassion, uh, of love, of benevolence. That that he uh, James tells us that that God's the giver of every good and perfect gift. That that, that God he is uniquely able to intervene into life, into our circumstances. And Jesus says in John fourteen thirteen. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Right? God has a, a good reason to respond. it, so that he would get glory, meaning that he would be seen for who he really is. He would be rightly seen and known. So Paul tells us that we're to pray. We're to pray steadfastly, or maybe your translation says to be devoted in prayer. Um, were to come to God, Christians are to be a people that pray all the time. So what would it look like for your life to be devoted to prayer? I wonder what sacrifices you would make. Uh, Jesus, oftentimes in the gospel, we see the gospels we see that he gets up early to pray. Mark one is one of those times. He gets up early before everything that's coming that day, just so he can be with the Father in prayer. So, how difficult would it be for you to to wake up five minutes earlier, maybe to hit snooze one less time, maybe ten minutes, maybe twenty minutes earlier? Or maybe you, maybe you devote part of your lunch break during the day. Or, or maybe just once a week, even, devoting part of your lunch break to prayer. What keeps you from praying as much as you would like to or think you should? What can you do to foster growth in your prayer life? Acts 2, one of the key uh, items that we see the, the um, early church devoted to is prayer. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching, the break of bread, and they're devoted to prayer. In Acts 6, the apostles, it says they're devoted to the ministry of the word and prayer, the very leaders of the church. So for the believer, prayer should be something that we do every day and throughout the day. If if your prayer life is uh, irregular, then that should be a big red flag because this is something that, that God's people are to be doing all the time. Jesus even told a story about uh, this neighbor late at night. Um, He comes pounding on the door of his neighbor because he has these unexpected guests that come and and he's out of bread. He needs bread for them and and the guy whose door is being pounded is like, what what do you want? (laughs) I'm in bed. He's like, I need bread. I need bread real bad. We got these people around. He's like, no, I'll give you bread in the morning, man. I was just entering REM sleep. Leave me alone. And the guy just keeps knocking and knocking. like, you don't understand, man. I need bread. And Jesus says, the guy's going to get up and get out of bed to shut this guy up, right? To give him the bread. Jesus says, come to the Father. He wants us to come to him. It's not annoying, but he wants us to be persistent. So Paul tells us, to be watchful, and Pastor Gary pointed out that my name actually comes from this word, watchful. I, I think it's Gregoreo. I might be wrong. I uh, know it's not Goose Um But we're, we're, to be, we're to be watchful. Well, what, what does that mean, watchful? Well, one reason that we're watchful is we're living this life, and, and it seems one way, but Scripture tells us that there's this spiritual war going on, that there's this battle going on for souls, and that God's designed it that our prayers actually matter to God. He's, he's made it this way that, that we pray to him and he responds to what we, what we ask for. He moves. Another way we're watchful is is I think we're just looking as Christians, we're looking for opportunities to pray because God's given us this unbelievable access to him. He's given this unbelievable tool uh, that that we can come to him and and ask him to intervene, ask him to move. So just the other day, an example of this, I got an email from a friend. Um, He's in a different time zone and Our schedules just don't line up for us to talk, so we email back and forth. And I read this email, and there's one line that that just struck me as being off. I'm like, something's wrong here. And even before I emailed him back, I just thought, I need to pray. I just need to pray for my friend's heart because I think, I think there's some bitterness or something's off here. Are we looking for opportunities to pray? Another strange one that's happened this year, like I mentioned, I drop off uh, one kid at high school every morning and, and, and then coming back, the traffic's ridiculous. So you just sit and wait at this light for a long time until you can go. And, and I started noticing, like there's all kinds of kids that are walking to the school, obviously they, li- they live nearby. But one kid, for whatever reason, he was the only kid I recognized every day. Like, I don't know him. I don't mean that. But, but there's something about his face, something about the way he walked that, that I just started to notice him every day. And it took me a couple weeks. I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm sitting at a light. Like, why don't I start praying for this kid? Because I see him every single day. It's like God built in this reminder for me to just pray for him. So I just started praying. I don't know anything about him. Praying for his school day praying that he f- had friends, praying for his family, praying for his, his parents, like if they're married, praying for their, their marriage, their relationship. I don't know if he knows Jesus, so every day I ask, Lord, would you send someone into this kid's life that would tell him about you, Jesus, and would the gospel take root? And I, I just, It just felt like this opportunity, so, so I took it. I don't know about you, but uh, I have people randomly pop in my head that I haven't seen in years, and, and maybe that's an opportunity. Maybe that's an opportunity to spend two minutes praying for them. And, and when I do that, then I, I tend to then text them and say, Hey, I don't know how you're doing, but you just came to mind, so this is what I prayed for you. So we're watchful in our prayer. And he says, with thankfulness. And it's easy to come to God in prayer with, with all these things that we want. And he's told us to do this, but Paul, he knows us, right? He knows that, that, that um, it can go downhill quick and that we, we can tend to not be a thankful people. But if we're in Jesus, we have so much to be thankful for. Right. If we know Christ, we have everything to be thankful for. So are you thankful even in difficult circumstances? Um, if, you've, uh, if you've been at Harvest for a while, you might remember several years ago, Pastor Gary told a story uh, during a sermon about uh, Corey and Betsy Tinboom, and I'll, I'll never forget it. They were uh, two uh, courageous, uh, compassionate Dutch Christians who helped Harbor Jews from the Nazis during World War II. Uh, and these sisters were arrested for that. They were sent to a German concentration camp. Um, and, and they got to the barracks, um, and, and there were these massive platforms that, that were uh, like three bunks high. It was just communal beds for hundreds of, of women um, in these barracks and, and they were filled with straw and the straw just reeked and, and they built them so closely together that you could not sit all the way up without hitting your head and they went to bed trying not to try not to throw up just from the, the disgusting smells of, of that straw but Corey sat up, she hit her head, something had bitten her, and she yelled to her sister, she yelled, Betsy, there's fleas, there's fleas everywhere, so they got down out of the bunks together, went down the, the narrow way, uh, and, and found some light coming through, a, a crack in the door or something, and they're looking, and, and she said, ah, oh, there's fleas here, they're, they're, they're everywhere. How are we going to live in such a place, Betsy? And Betsy said, show us, show us how, and, and it took Corey a moment to figure out that Betsy was praying to the Lord, praying that, she would show, that the Lord would show him how we live in this place. And then Corey said, he's given us the answer. Before we even asked, he's already answered us. It was in the Bible reading this morning. Read that part again. And Corey goes and she looks around first to make sure that there's no guards there. She pulls out her Bible and turns to 1 Thessalonians. She finds the passage and starts reading it. Comfort the frightened, help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one, uh, see that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to go, do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God. And Betsy jumped in and she, she said, that's it. That's it. We're to give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now by thanking God for every single thing about this barracks. And Corey just looks at her. Are are you kidding me? I mean, she didn't say that. And, And then she looks around this nasty smelling room. And she says, Such as Betsy. And Betsy said, Such as being together. Corey said, Yes, Jesus, thank you. Thank you that I'm with my sister. Betsy says, such as what you're holding in your hands. And Corey looks down and sees her bottom. She says, yes, thank you, Lord, that there was no inspection when we entered into this place. Thank you for all the women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. And Betsy agreed, yes, thank you for the crowded room that we're in, that we're packed so close that many more will hear. And she looked at Corey and said, "Corey, all right, thank you for the jammed, crammed, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds, Lord. Betsy continued, thank you. Thank you for the fleas and for, but that was too much for Corey. She interrupted her. She said, Betsy, there's no way God can make me grateful for a flea. Betsy said, give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't say give thanks in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are a part of this place where God has put us. So there they stood, and they thanked God for everything, including the fleas, though Corey thought Betsy was a little crazy here. As the weeks passed, Betsy's health got worse, and she couldn't go out on normal work duty, so they assigned her to stay in the barracks and knit socks. Um, and she was lightning fast, so she would finish her quota really, really quickly. And, and then she would go around the room to the women that were even sicker than her laying in bed, and she would read scripture to them. And it blew her mind because the guards would never come in and catch her. They would never come near the, the, um, that part of the room. One day, Corey arrived back, and there was just a a glimmer in Betsy's eye. And and Corey said, you're looking extraordinarily pleased with yourself. Betsy said, you know, we've never understood why we've had so much freedom in the big room, in in this area where, where they're sleeping. She said, well, I found out. This afternoon, there was some confusion in my knitting group about sock sizes, so we asked the supervisor to come and settle it. But she wouldn't. She wouldn't even step through the door, and neither would the guards. And you know why? Because of the fleas. That's what she said. She said, That place is crawling with fleas. And Corey's mind raced back to their first hour in the, in the barracks. And she remembered Betsy bowing her head and thanking God for the creatures that Corey could not understand. How she could thank God for, or to be a thankful people in everything. Verse three of chapter four, he says, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door. Uh, open a door for the word to declare the mystery of christ on account of which i'm in prison that i may make it clear which is how i ought to speak so he he tells us to pray for for workers right for people who are making disciples to pray for open doors and and to pray uh, for gospel clarity we're to pray for workers for for missionaries, for evangelists, for Sunday school teachers, young life leaders. If you have a friend that you know they're getting ready to talk to, to a co-worker about Jesus, you're to pray for them. He says we're, we're to pray for doors to be open for the gospel. There'll be opportunities. You might remember Bob Blinko last week. Uh, if you missed it, you got to go back and listen. Trust me. Uh, it, was, it was an experience. <laughs> um, he, he talked, though, about countries that, that today, they're closed right now to, to gospel workers coming in, but we have no idea tomorrow God might open those same, those same countries, and we need to pray that that would happen, and that people would be ready to go. And then Paul says we've got to pray for the clarity of the gospel, that when it's spoken, when it's preached, when it's shared, when it's explained, that, that, that God would give clear words to speak the gospel. So I want to give you some some practical tips for prayer. Um, and, and maybe these seem elementary to you. I don't know. But these are some things that, that I was thinking about uh, this week as I was... Uh, hoping that we, as a congregation, can grow in prayer. So uh, the first is to choose specific times, right? Spontaneous prayer is great, but if you want to grow your prayer life, I I think you need to choose specific times, whether that's marking it in your calendar, or you could set alarms off on your phone at different times of the day to remind you to pray, but we need to carve out time, whether that's getting up early, like I mentioned, or, or praying on lunch break with someone, uh, or, or maybe you choose, like, on, on my drive into work every day, I'm going to pray on the way to the commute. That's going to be one time that I set aside each day, but we need to choose specific times. We need to pray with other people, too. Um, I, I, I enjoy praying by myself. I love getting together and praying with other believers. Um, as mentioned, next week is, is our prayer time before church. Uh, Udit leads it um, in the nursery, 845 to 945. You just come and, and pray. Pray for, for our church. Pray for our community. Pray for all kinds of things. But it, it is so good to, to pray um, with others. If, if you have a roommate and they know Jesus, pray with your roommate. If you live with your family, pray with your family. If you're married, pray with your spouse. It is, it is good to pray together. Um, walk. Um, that might seem like a weird one, but I remember, especially when I was younger, I would fall asleep. And I'd pray, and it was kind of frustrating to me. And, and then somewhere along the lines, I heard like, "Hey, if if that's you, just get up and walk. Like whether it's walking around a neighborhood or, or just pacing in your own room. Like I, I've never heard of someone falling asleep when they when they're walking, right? So if that's your issue, um, if you if you get tired like the disciples did, get up and walk. Uh, there's two apps there that I think are really really good apps. Prayermate is the one I use. It's it's I found it before I found Echo, but it helps me organize my prayers, and it, uh, I have all these different lists, and then it, it uh, kind of puts them together for me and, and mixes everything up so that I pray through all my lists throughout the week. Echo actually looks way better. I just started using PrayerMate first, and it's the one that I use. So both of those are, are available uh, for both Android and Apple. Um, lastly, I'd say pray scripture, right? It, maybe you don't know what to pray. Well, you can open up your Bible, and, and, and where you've been in Scripture, you could pray that. Uh, our second week in Colossians, we prayed through for one another, Colossians 1, 10 through 12. I've been praying that for people ever since that. It, it's, it's good to take God's very word and pray that for people. Um, and, and I'd also say, this isn't up there, but if you, if you find that you get distracted while you're praying, like if your mind kind of wanders off and that's frustrating to you, I'd encourage you to start praying about whatever those things are that you're distracted by. Because maybe you'll, you'll find that it's an idol in your life. Like it's, it's consuming you in ways that aren't good. Or maybe you'll find that it's it's really the heart thing that you should be praying about. Maybe more than some of the other things. But, but I'd encourage you to do that. So it would be silly to talk a bunch about prayer and then not pray. So we're going to do that now. So what I want you to do, I may have just freaked some of you out, but um, I'm going to give you... Just like a minute, minute and a half, to silently pray. Just right now, before the Lord. And then when that time's done, I'll lead us in, into a new, uh, a new uh, thing to pray about. A new way that we're going to pray together. But uh, We'll just be quiet right now before the Lord. Pray whatever is on your heart. Amen. So now what we're going to do, we've got a slide with our missionaries that we're going to get up there for you. Um, I want us to pray for our missionaries. And um, in your bulletin, I think it tells you what organization we're with and what, what country they're in as well. But these are the missionaries that we support at Harvest. Um, this time, I want you to pray with some people right around you. And if, and if that just totally freaks you out to pray out loud in front of somebody else, that's okay. Like, you can, you can be next to them and, and just agree in, in, in your heart and spirit. But um, if that doesn't freak you out, if you're willing to, to pray out loud, let's do that together with two, three, four people right around you. If you don't know each other, introduce yourselves, and then let's just spend a couple minutes praying for some of our missionaries, right? Praying for open doors, praying for gospel clarity, praying for effective disciple making. So I'll give you a couple minutes to do that, and let's pray out loud together. All right, I'll let you wrap up that prayer there. Amen. And then let's do this. For, for our last section of prayer, um, we're going to do this as a whole congregation here all together. I just want us to give thanks. Uh, just prayers of thanksgiving, right? Could be one sentence, maybe up to like two or three sentences. Not, not beyond that, though, because I want lots of people to be able to do it. So just from where you are, lead out in, in uh, prayers of thanksgiving. Amen. We need to be a people that, that, that pray, right? not just individually, but, but that we, we gather together and, and, and are people that are devoted to prayer. Let's continue on in the passage, verse, uh, verse 5 of chapter 4. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person so uh, two through four we're, we're talking about how we pray uh, we're praying for for people that are making disciples gospel workers but but Paul says no no you're not off the hook like you you are a gospel worker as well you are to make the most of every opportunity so are you involved in God's mission to spread the gospel to all people He tells us to walk in wisdom with outsiders and winning people to Christ certainly takes wisdom. While scripture uh, gives us everything that we need, it, it doesn't give us the play-by-play on, on every conversation with, with someone who doesn't know Jesus, in every situation uh, with someone that doesn't know Jesus. And the beautiful thing about that is it keeps us dependent on the Lord. It keeps us uh, praying to him for wisdom so that we would know how to live, how to work. How, how, to, how to be around people that do not know Jesus yet with the hopes that they will come to know Jesus. He says that our speech needs to be gracious. It needs to be seasoned with salt. Our, our lives should be seasoned. It, it, Christians, we should not be bland. So one question is, does the gospel still taste great to you? Or are you so used to being saved that you don't savor knowing Jesus anymore? How can, you, how, how can you season your speech if you don't even have an appetite for Christ, or for the gospel yourself? It's, uh, it's, it's incredible, I mean, the difference that, that salt makes in a dish, that good seasoning makes in a dish. You know, you can, you can do everything right. You can cook it the right amount of time. You can get all the other ingredients right. You, you can have it at the right temperature. But if it's not seasoned well, it won't taste good. But if you add that seasoning, it makes your mouth water. Right? It, it, it makes you scoop up more than really you should eat because it tastes so good. The Christian life, the, the words that come out of our mouths, the, the, the ways that we live, it, it ought to be well-seasoned. Right? We, we have to be full of, of grace but it will never be that way if you're not connected with the vine like Jesus talks about in John, right? Or, or Paul in Colossians, he says that we're to be in him. If we're not in him, if we're not connected to the vine, we won't be the salt of the earth like Christ tells us. So are your words seasoned with Jesus? All right. is, your, is your speech full of grace? My brother-in-law, Worked at a restaurant. I think it was during college or right after college, um, and he was he became the bartender at that restaurant. Um, learned how to make all kinds of drinks. Funny thing is, though, my brother in law has never had a sip of alcohol in his life, never. And he was a bartender. That's always caught me as uh, just off. And I, I'm not encouraging bartenders to be the alcoholics, but but it seems bizarre to me that there would be a bartender that knows how to make these drinks and yet has never tasted one. I, I wonder how many Christ followers. Talk about Jesus, but, it, but it's like they've never had a drink of who Jesus is. They've been following him for so long, but they have no taste anymore for the gospel. In order to have speech that is full of grace, that is seasoned with salt, with the gospel, we need to drink from Christ. We need to drink deeply from the well of the gospel. Right? And this, is what, this is what drives us in to God's word so that, so that we can know him. Paul prays. Uh, early in Colossians, that that the knowledge, that our knowledge would increase, and it's not just this intellectual thing, but that we would truly know who Jesus is, that we would have this relationship that just grows more and more and more, right? When we stop learning about who Jesus is, when we stop growing and knowing who he is, that ought to be a giant red flag. In, In eternity, I'm confident that we will continue to grow more and more in knowing who Jesus is. Our worship of Jesus in heaven will never be dull because our learning about him will fuel the fire of our worship. So if we're connected to the vine, or or as Paul says, if if we're in him, our our lives will be seasoned. It will be seasoned with salt. Our speech will, will, will taste so good that people, some, will want to know this Jesus that we know. And lastly, he says that, that it's gotta be, we, we've got to be ready to give answers right, to anyone. and This is a, a, this is a personalized thing. Right? Not, there aren't many Billy Grahams in the world and, and Luis Palau's that are preaching the gospel to these big crowds. Most of us will do this one-on-one. There's, there's going to be a friend, we have a coworker, a neighbor, a family member, and we'll have the opportunity to talk with them one-on-one. And Paul says, you've got to be ready. You have to be prepared to give an answer to them. So maybe there's, there's a difficult question uh, in faith that, that isn't a struggle for you at all, but are you ready? Are you ready to share an answer with a person who that is a huge struggle for? That's a barrier for them in coming to know Christ. The gospel is so very personal and it makes sense that our evangelism, for the most part, will happen in these one-on-one personal relationships. So the question is, are we ready? Are we prepared to take the opportunities that God gives us? Are we prepared to make the most of our time that we have here to make disciples for Jesus? Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we love you. Lord, I thank you that you've given us prayer, that, that, that we don't need someone else to, to pray for us, that we ourselves can talk directly to you and that, and that you want that, you love that from us. Lord, would we grow as a church in, in, in our prayer life, not just individually, but collectively, God? Would we, would we be a people that pray? And Lord, I also, I also ask, God, that we wouldn't only be prayers, but that we, we would go out and be ready to share, that we would look for opportunities, Lord, that we'd be looking for open doors that you'd give us, that we'd be ready to give answers, Lord. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.